Good afternoon, collectors, and welcome to Trading Card Therapy, episode number 17. I'm the doctor, yours truly, Leighton Sheldon, the host of today's show. Hope you all have been having a good holiday season. We just had a great weekend at the Philly show down at the Valley Forge Convention Center and Casino just outside the King of Prussia Mall in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. We met a bunch of our fellow Breakamaniacs from the Vintage Breaks community. I met a bunch of folks I've interacted with over the years from Just Collect, whether it be buying and selling. I met a lot of new folks. Um, shout out, for example, to Nash Cards. They're one of the biggest group submitters on the IG platform. Uh, and I believe they're helping or working with SGC at the moment. A special shout out to my friend Derek from Heritage and Mike Hefner from Leland's, who both appeared live with us at the show on our Vintage Break stream. And of course, there's countless others, whether it be just collectors or other dealers that I was able to see in person. It was a, a fantastic show. Very, very lively. If you haven't already, make sure you check out the phillyshow.com website or follow them on IG. They had lots of great picks coming from the event. But today's episode isn't going to be all roses, meaning I'm going to talk about the show, but I'm going to tell you some of the things that I went through myself personally that will hopefully serve as a lesson to you out there, whether it be as a collector, a dealer, a hybrid investor, or none of the above, and you're just starting to get back into collecting, you, you kind of want to know what's happening uh, live on the floor of these baseball card conventions. So first off, kudos to Joe Drellick um, and his team uh, that have been putting on a phenomenal Philly show now three times a year for the last several years. Um, this show has roots all the way back to uh, Fort Washington, Pennsylvania, and then other locations even before that, meaning this show has been around in theory for decades but not at the same location. So you have folks like old school set collectors that come to this show with their little notebook and their, you know, their pencil and they scratch out the cards that they get, you know, as they're walking around on their journey um, at the convention. So let me start off by saying that one of the most fun things at the show beyond seeing everyone interacting is the fact that I consider myself to be a professional baseball card treasure hunter and it's all under one roof. Now, most everyone knows exactly what they have, but that still doesn't stop this kid in one of the big, the world's biggest candy stores from really getting, you know, super nutty and um, enthusiastic about, you know, all the great material they have at the show. And then, of course, you never know what's going to walk in. So let's start off with something that had walked in to our booth when I was not at the table. But the good thing is I had the Just Collect and the Vintage Breaks team there. So they were able to talk to this gentleman when he came up with his buddy. It turned out that it was a group of 1927 exhibits that featured a Babe Ruth, a few other exhibits from the 20s. And as the story went, and this gentleman, I believe, said he was a shop owner, um, but I didn't quite catch the name of the shop. But he said they were not his cards. I think they were his great-grandfather's, and they had been in the family for quite some time. So he had talked to um, an auction house at the show that had given him estimates of approximately, I believe, five to 6,000 for the roof and approximately 1,000 to 1,500 for everything else. And even though, you know, it's never easy to, you know, buy something fresh that walks up to you, meaning not graded, the exact value isn't known. I'm looking at this group of exhibits and normally when you're talking about ungraded cards, it's really hard to establish a value 
that someone's going to be able to agree with first off the bat as you know you're discussing what to pay for the collection and so as, as explained to this gentleman i really can't make you an offer until what we think that you know basically evaluate what the cards are worth well he told me that he had talked to this auction house of the show and had, been, had he had been given these estimates so after i heard these estimates I thought I was in prime position to be able to buy these cards because, as explaining the way the auction houses worth, uh, work, if you achieve, for example, 6000 bucks and you get a 0% commission, it will likely have to sell for 5000 plus the buyer's premium of 20% to get 6000 And even if you get a 0% commission rate, you're going to get a 0% commission rate charged on the hammer, and the hammer price being $5,000, even though it'll sell for six. So if you get a 0% commission rate on a $5,000 sale, you'll thus net yourself $5,000. If the rest of the cards were 1,000 to 1,500, I'm figuring, you know, same kind of formula, even if they sold them as one group, maybe he gets 1,250 plus the buyer's premium. So even if he gets 0% commission and the cards and the balance of the collection sell for 1,250, he'll get 1,250 plus the buyer's premium of 20%, which would be 1,500 bucks. However, when you're getting paid from the auction house, you will get paid on the hammer price. Once again, if the hammer price um, is $1,250 and is a 0% consignment rate, so no commission, you will then net $1,250. So my thinking was, if this individual was going to net $1,250 and $5,000, and I'm pretty much willing to pay in that vicinity, I think we're going to be able to do a deal. Yep, and that's where the real story begins. So I appreciate everyone tuning in to, to today's episode. They're not always going to be about the winners, the great victories. However, I do believe in sharing with you and peeling the curtain back just a little bit, you're going to not only hear an interesting story, but you may yourself uh, learn a lesson for the next time something like this may happen to you and hopefully close. Um, it wasn't a white whale for me, but I certainly would have been excited with a, with a 1927 exhibit roof. So we were going back and forth and I couldn't get an exact price out of him. And mind you, the first time he approaches our booth, Credit to J5 and the team at Just Collect. They did the best they could in an evaluation to write down what he had. Said the owner will be back in just a little bit, which I was. And so when we came to the table, even though I had J5's eval, I didn't really need you know too much of it because it wasn't a big group of cards. And after he had the person who owned the cards, after he had described to me his interaction with the auction house and the numbers, I said, great, let's get a number from you. And you know hopefully we'll be able to buy your collection. So he's hemming and hawing and keeping in mind that 5,000 bucks is what he would net maybe and approximately 1250, so 6250. So I'm thinking somewhere in that vicinity, uh, you know, and anything south of that would be great um, because I'm going to keep the Babe Ruth. I'm not going to sell it for a long time and the other cards uh, I likely would sell and they would offset the cost of the roof. So I'm very close and I think he says at one point either 5,500 or 6,000 for the group of cards. But it was like in the same vein he said it, he pulled it back and he said, you know, I gotta be fair to this other dealer. You know, he was very interested and I told him I would come back. And you know, I'm really not that pushy. So even though I know you're better off closing it right then and there, I even said that to him. I said, you know, letting you go, chance I don't get the deal. So I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna make you an offer, why don't you go get your best offer and I'm either going to beat your best offer by $250 or you sell it to the other guy. So you really can't lose because you're either going to get 250 bucks more or you go back to the other guy. 
However, while being civil and while being nice, I forgot that it's not always a two-way street. Not just in baseball cards, folks, in life, right? Whether it be you go to the bagel shop, you go to the cookie store, you go to the dry cleaners, you go to the baseball card show. You're going to see where I'm going with this in just one second. So I got my fingers crossed that we're going to be able to uh, buy this collection. We certainly would blog about it um, on our blog at Just Collect. You can find that. Hundreds of stories about collections we bought in the past at blog.justcollect.com. He came back, oh, I don't know. I'm going to say 20-ish minutes later, I had been hanging out at the booth. I was cautiously optimistic, but at the same time, I know, like anything else in life, right? You know, you walk away, chances of you closing that deal or said business transaction goes down drastically. He came back, and I do appreciate that he did, to let me know what he had sold it for. And he was holding the cash in his hands. And of course, I was disappointed. He told me what he sold it for, and he sold it for $6,500. But what I now surmised uh, from this was that the dealer told him, if you walked away, my deal would be off the table. Little does that gentleman know that I might have paid more than $6,750. All I was simply trying to do was establish the value of the cards. And that's how I do any transaction, um, unless you're buying from an auction house, in which case you just bid in an auction. But whether it be I buy from an experienced dealer or from someone from the public, um, like our recent Yonkers big collection that we bought out of Yonkers, New York, with hundreds of cards from the 1930s, I always try to establish a baseline first, i.e., what is the collection worth? And then from there, it's a lot easier to let people know, hey, this is the percentages I work with. You could tell them that up front, but if you don't have a baseline of the value, it's very hard to work with. So the mistake that I made was hearing from the gentleman about the estimates he was given at auction, meaning even if he got full freight and got every penny, was 6000 plus 1250 uh, 12 to 1500 he did great in terms of the amount that he could have netted from selling it at an auction house, at least in today's market, is how he felt. But I'm fairly certain that he was pressured that if he walked away from the table, that his offer would be, you know, effectively off the table. So what I learned um, from that, or my takeaway is, you can still be a little bit more aggressive and be nice. So for example, one of the things I might've been able to say to him is, hey, if you walk away, I'm not interested in the collection any longer. I don't think that really would have served me well because I was interested in the collection and I don't, be I don't believe in bullshitting people. However, sometimes some deals just aren't meant to be. And this is one of them. Meaning he might've just crossed paths with the other dealer first, had a connection, maybe they went to the same high school, they drank the same drink, they have the same favorite food. Who knows? But sometimes the most money won't necessarily win out. And so you have to do your best to assess each and every situation properly, whether it be you're buying a fresh walk-in at a card show at your booth, whether it be someone contacts you through your website um, for a fresh collection, or for that matter, just graded cards, um, or if you're actually just going to shop at a card show and you know looking around at the, um, the various booths. Uh, and shopping, you can never take anything for granted. So although it was fairly obvious to me that he should have come back, I get it. He got a little bit nervous. He got some cold feet. And kudos to the dealer. He did a good job of basically kind of giving him a take it or leave it, um, you know, ultimatum. I've not really done those. I can count on maybe a couple fingers through the years. But I might change my tune in the future. I may not. But I at least wanted to share with you what happened. And what I would say is, I might be more aggressive the first time around. So in other words, if he had told me 6,000 and 1250, what he's quoted, 
Maybe I just tell him seven grand. But I don't know. It's really hard to play Monday morning quarterback, even though it's a lot of fun to do that and dissect. I wanted to share with you what happened that even though I do consider myself to be very good at this um, and really good at dealing with people, you can't bat a thousand when doing this. and You can't let emotion get the best of you. And of course, I had to continue to trot along and, you know, make the best I could out of the card show for both Just Collect Vintage Breaks and then myself personally. Apologize for those who um, regularly tune in. As you can tell, uh, my voice is just a little bit under the weather. I think I caught my son's cold uh, the other day um, and appreciate everyone's patience. So the next story from the Philly show, we'll tell a brief one, was about Raleigh Fingers. And a shout out to my friend Joe Drellick, who I've known for probably 20 to 25 years um, in the hobby. We've both taken different paths and had different adventures. Joe is currently running not only the Philly show, but the Chantilly Virginia show, which is a great show, um, and also deals a lot with um, you know former athletes such as Raleigh Fingers. Excuse me. And last time he had James Fiorentino there, who's a up-and-coming artist, very well-known, especially in the baseball space. Uh, so Joe's always got his hands in, in different uh, and interesting things. And so when I saw on the autographed list of folks that were supposed to appear this past weekend at Philly, because we had already opened a pack with Pete Rose, I had two names that we were targeting. Raleigh Fingers, Hall of Famer, and one of only 10 pitchers of all time to win a Cy Young and MVP in the same year, and Ric Flair. And Ric Flair just didn't work out because we weren't able to work out a deal with the agent. Um, hopefully we will in the future. But we were able to book uh, Raleigh early enough where we did an event with him. We did a special break experience. And for those of you who are not that familiar with Vintage Breaks, our breaking company here is one of the sponsors of Trading Card Therapy. I encourage you to check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash vintage breaks. And you'll be able to see me, yours truly, open up packs with the likes of, oh, I don't know, Pete Rose and Emmett Smith, Gary V and Dale Murphy, Warren Moon. The list goes on and on. Um, but Raleigh holds a special place in my heart. He was so down to earth. Uh, he spent much more time than he was contracted to. Uh, so we very much appreciate that. And of course, all of our break maniacs do. We had some people say this to us at the convention that even though we've done these virtual breaks before, these virtual break experiences, before the virtual break experiences started, we were doing them all in person, like Pete Rose and like Emmett Smith. And so because of COVID and, and the challenges with that, we've decided to try some of them virtually. But I would have to say I absolutely like them in person a lot more. And a few folks share with me that they thought Raleigh was really into it, that he didn't seem like he was in a rush to go anywhere. And that was pretty obvious because he went like, you know, two to three times as long as he was supposed to. So we very much appreciated that. Um, but the one answer that I was really surprised by that you weren't able to find on Google. So I had a few friends who had or have mustaches contact me before the break and say, I've had two questions we got to ask Raleigh. The first one was, um, what made you start growing it? But that you could find from just really Googling. And that was the whole story from 1972. Athletics owner Charlie Finley basically encouraged all the athletics ball players to come to training camp with facial hair. Effectively, he would pay $300 to the winner of the best looking facial hair. Well, Raleigh Fingers won hands down. And can you imagine that 49 years later, he still has that patented well-known mustache that he is so widely acclaimed for? So the other question people wanted to know was, 
Like, what is daily care like? And effectively, what he was saying is if it took any more than a few seconds with the wax, like he wouldn't, he would have shaved it off long ago. But that led me to my last question in regards to his mustache. And I did ask him, by the way, before he went on camera, if he was okay talking about it, because, you know, you never know. And I want to make sure that uh, we were jiving and having a good time together. So I asked him something I was not able to find unequivocally anywhere through Google, baseball reference, or other. And that was simply, Raleigh, have you ever thought about shaving it off in the last 49 years? And he said that the time he was most serious, and I love the way he told the story, he goes, I had a doubleheader that day, Layton. And in the early game, I came in later in the game, and I gave up a home run to Frank Robinson. I came into the second game, and I don't recall who he said he gave up to the home run to, but he gave up another home run. I can envision him doing this because he looked with me, looked at me with such sincerity. He said, I looked in the mirror that night, a hard, long look, and I was this close to shaving it off. That was the last time, and I've run with it ever since. And it seems like he's had a pretty good run. Um, but we do sincerely appreciate the time that Raleigh spent with us, uh, the stories that he shared, um, that he told, the few items that he was uh, able to sign for us. And it was just a wonderful experience, and I wanted to give Raleigh a special shout-out. So the last thing I wanted to cover today was just buying on the floor of the show and how competitive it actually can be. So I'm about to show off something that I was able to buy at the show from a dealer who had a very nice grouping of vintage sets, which is so interesting because I didn't buy this set till Saturday. I wanted to go over on Friday to see it. I ran out of time and I was actually thought that I wasn't going to be able to buy anything at all because stuff would have been gone. So without further ado, I'm going to show you the highlight of our new vintage set break that just went live on our website at vintagebreak, vintagebreaks.com. A gorgeous 1952 Bowman Mickey Mantle second year highlights the 1952 Bowman baseball set break that just went live on our website at 75 bucks a spot. And because it's the holiday season, when this episode drops... We're going to give away a free spot in that 1952 Bowman baseball set break through Trading Card Therapy on Instagram. So if you are not following us already, you should do that so you could win a free spot. So long story short is I've known this dealer for a long time. I didn't have time to dive in until Saturday. Upon diving in, I quickly scoop up his 1952 Bowman set. I look at his other sets and I see one, like, wait a minute, you have a 51 Bowman set. So I do very quick numbers. We're really not that far off. And I said to him, and this is the mistake I made, and this is where I'm going to help other collectors. He knows me very well, so he would have done this. I said, do me a favor. Let me go back to my booth. I want to see a couple things in regards to a few of the cards, meaning the mantle's a three and a half, and the maze was, I believe, a three. I also want to see how long it took Vintage Breaks to sell out its last 1951 Bowman set break, right? Good stat to know when you're thinking about spending tens of thousands of dollars on an item. This is the mistake I made. Only thing I had to do was to say, Chris, could you do me a favor? 
could you hang on to the set for me and put it on the side for like 15, 20 minutes while I do some research? He would have said, sure. Keeping in mind, it's already Saturday, right? So I go back to the booth. No, like I don't have to rush. So I think I go back to his booth within the hour. You wouldn't believe it. And I know who bought it. What happened was another individual, I don't want to call him a collector or dealer. We'll just say individual who's at large. No, I know who it is. Another individual saw me, and you can see I'm having fun with this, folks. I don't take myself too seriously, but it is important to learn lessons. So upon me messing up and doing the research and coming back and basically ready to execute and make a deal, what happened was because it's such a public venue and the show, everyone can see what's going on. You know, I didn't like buy the 52 Bowman mantle and go like this after at the show. Like, yeah, no, I mean, I brought it to my booth. I did my thing. Yeah, what happened was the individual in question saw me at the booth, went over, and I'm sure asked if I bought anything. Said, yep, Leighton bought the 52 Bowman set, thinking about the 51. Yeah, the key mistake is I didn't put it on the side. That dealer has the means, executed, and when I went back to the table, the 1951 Bowman set was gone. And because Chris is such a great guy, I said, Chris, do I know who bought it? And I started to say it. He said, you know. I said, all right. At least I know. I know the mistake that I made. I know how I would do it different in the future. So this is my point to you breakomaniacs, to you collectors, young and old, to you folks who buy vintage and buy modern. But most importantly, you're just a card nerd like myself and you love the hobby. Folks, if you see a card you're interested in and you want to do some research on a computer or on your phone or phone a friend or call a buddy or email uh, a guru that you know or DM someone on Twitter, it is not only all acceptable, but do yourself a favor and don't do what this knucklehead did. If you think you got real sincere interest in it and you're close to buying it, but you need a little bit more time and it's a substantial purchase, right? If it's 11 bucks. Like maybe just hope it's there when you get back. This was tens of thousands and I had done the work. So this is my advice to all of you folks out there. Get to know your dealers. Be one with the community. And don't make the faux pas that I did. Use your leverage. Chris, I just spent a bunch of money with you. Could you hold the set for 30 minutes? He would have said, no problem. And then I would have went back, probably executed a deal. And I'd also either have the 51 Bowman set and just collects inventory or a 1951 Bowman set to offer the Vintage Breaks community. Regardless, I'm hoping that my lessons shared today, although they didn't all um, result in triumph, will allow you to learn a thing or two from me and from my adventures in the card world. And with that, this is Trading Card Therapy, episode number 17. Thanks for joining us. Happy holidays.